Hello and welcome to Is This Room Free? My name is Martin Drake and I'm an ex-HR professional who is now the founder and managing director of Hire People, a recruitment business that is raising the standards in the way recruitment agencies operate. In this podcast, I will be talking to HR professionals and listening to the stories of their careers. I will be finding out about the journeys they have taken and what they've learned along the way. The purpose is to help others in the profession identify and understand the various paths available and take inspiration from my guest speakers. Whether you are someone who is looking to get that first step on the HR career ladder or an aspiring HR director, I hope you get value from my conversations. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Is This Room Free? Um, so very, very excited about today's guest. Um, I'll be very, very honest. We don't really, we don't have much kind of history between each other. Um, you um, you came off a recommendation from, um, it was weird, weird. Somebody recommended somebody to me who um, I, I tried to get her as a podcast guest, and then she recommended you to me. Um, I was supposed to do the podcast recording with her last week, and unfortunately, we've had to reschedule. But yeah, that kind of led us to you and me connecting, and we kind of shared some messages, and um, and here we are today. But I'm really, really excited about this one because um, I've seen some of your posts on LinkedIn. Um, you've got a book which is very, very different to a, a lot of my guests, um, and. I'm really excited to kind of get into the, um, I don't know, chew the fat a little bit about some of kind of the concepts of, of why you launched the book and, and kind of um, what is the, the work that you do right now. Um, but you've also got a very, I mean, we were just joking off air then just saying you've, you've got a very um, scenic route to, to kind of where you got to. So I'm sure there's going to be some good kind of stories along the way here as well. But um, Tim, welcome to the show. Um do you just want to kind of give the listeners um, a quick overview of kind of who you are um, and what you do, and then we'll kind of rewind and, and go back to the rewind to the nineties? Yeah. Oh cool? yeah. Oh, what what a great way to spend a Friday morning going back to the nineties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks, Martin. Yeah. So uh, Tim Roberts, uh, I'm author of Break the Mold. Um, I'm holding the book up, but then I'm just thinking this is an audio podcast. So for listeners listening in black and white, I'm holding up a copy of a book that's got a lovely red, white, and blue cover. So is yeah, it really... quadrophenia in in colours. Yeah, uh, I'm a, I'm a mod, guilty as charged. So it, it, it modernism and music massively influences my branding. I mean, we're sat here obviously doing this on a video call, and behind me sit Paul Well of the Small Faces and David Bowie. So yeah, I'm oh, very I was much trying guilty to work as out. charged. Yeah, for the, for for listeners, um, Tim's got these three pictures on the wall behind him that are kind of kind of comic style yeah, of yeah. kind of musicians, um, and I could I could work out the Bowie one. I couldn't see the middle one too much because you kind of has my head's in the way yeah and i was trying to work out the one on the left that's paul weller is it yeah oh, see, so I, yeah I paul weller with the like his hair down whereas this has got his hair up it is yeah this is probably maybe early 2000 uh well about it but but yeah i mean it, it's interesting actually i was kind of leading on to that because yeah that's what the book's all about is and, and the work that i do from the leadership coaching point of view is, is just being your authentic self hence why I go with a modernism and music influence on my brand rather than another corporate leadership trainer brand um so yeah all you know break that's, the mold. that's really really interesting because um I like I like that you just referenced rather than the kind of the corporate corporate 
kind of formal mode because um, when I had launched the business, um, we, I was trying to come up with some imagery for the website and um, we went on Shutterstock. My, my wife's kind of had access to it as a marketer. And then she said, you know, go through Shutterstock and, and find some imagery. And I just, I just felt that I had to do what everybody does, which was, um, you know, I was finding the the kind of the grayscale, um, blue tone, faceless, you know, Stock somebody shaking hands, yeah. yeah, somebody shaking hands over a big boardroom <laughs> table, and you can't actually see the faces. Or it was a picture of somebody walking past a skyscraper, and it was, you know, a glass fronted entrance way or you know people yeah. on the foot and, and I was like well that's what I need to do because that's what kind of corporate world looks like and, and my wife said yeah but that's not you so we ended up finding the this kind of yeah. um, child if anybody kind of sees my posts on on LinkedIn um, there's a strong kind of consistency in, in kind of that um, that imagery uh, it's on the website as well but she said you know you're more you're not childlike but kind of there's a fun element around it and you know sense of humor and we tried to kind of identify some imagery that really really reflected that and it's been really interesting that ever since we've used that um a lot of people comment and they say our posts on linkedin really stand out because because they're different they're not that kind of formal corporate churn that goes out there's a yeah it's eye-catching i think authenticity is is huge yeah yeah it's i mean it's fascinating that example you just used there martin when you're creating the branding the imagery imagery for your organization going for the stock photo the, the shake hands what you're doing is is it's fitting the mold because the world yeah. tells us this is what a recruitment company looks like or this is what corporate clients want and it's very easy to to fall into that and fit into it and the words you said there when you spoke to Ivan, you said that's not you that's you breaking the mold. And, and I think those words are as important as this is you and, and being clear on, no, that's not me. And, and actually bringing out that authenticity. So it's, it's not sometimes people go around saying, I am very unique and I'm very different. And I, well, everybody's different. Everybody's unique. You know, I don't use it as a way to sell yourself, use it to be yourself and grow it from that. And, you know, I, th- I went through a similar challenge when I was setting up NTUs, which is my uh, organisation. And at first it was a bit like, oh, I'll call it Tim Roberts coaching. I'll have like a cool team with an R coming out of it. And, you know, a bit like you, I'll have the stock photos. And I kind of sat back and I thought, actually, no one gives a shit about Tim Roberts. And actually, there's a million Tim Roberts, John Smith, Fred uh, right barbara jones coaching limited out there what people do give a shit about is is how you're going to help them and what it's going to be like to work with you and when i sat back and i mean a friend of mine helped me to come up with my first website and the logo i remember i I showed him what i'd come up with (laughs) and he he said to me right he does work in user experience so he knows what he's talking about he said right so let's just draw you out on a piece of paper and he was like right so tim roberts mod mank mad on music you know went through all the different qualities so they turned this piece of paper out and he said right so that's you and it had coaching and enthusiastic and all that and then he turned his laptop around to show like my draft website went so what the is that (laughs) and and i was like oh my god you're right martin i was just with his days martin i was just like yeah and it is that bit of actually start it it always starts with you that that's my hashtag that's my mission statement if you like and i think it's so important of recognizing that 
put you into the branding without it being Tim Roberts Limited with a load of corporate bullshit next to it. Actually, just be yourself. And you know, that, that's why I went for the word enthused because, to be honest, there was a bit I'd been given feedback that was enthusiastic when I was working in-house doing L&D training and coaching. And I also, from my own experience, I want leaders to be enthusiastic. And, and I'm yeah. not using that in any kind of cheesy or corny or kind of uh, cliched way. You know, if, if your leaders are going to work and they're not enthusiastic, well, guess what? Nobody else will be. And it, it, I think the important message as well is be enthusiastic about yourself. You know, the, the best thing for me when somebody leaves coaching with me or if they listen to one of my inspirational talks or they've been through some group coaching with me is, leaving that experience enthusiastic to go and be themselves so there's a kind of link to it but yeah that, that's why i went for the word enthuse as the title of the business and choosing to put me into it you know when, when i first spoke to my publisher about the cover of my book i was like you've got to get a mod target in there and i was like so if, you know it's called break the mold so they always oh, perfect so they were like a mod target what, what are you on about <laughs> i was like just pointing at these pictures behind me and you know that's because they're not they don't understand they don't know about modernism and uh, there was there was a conversation around what they thought the cover should be and what i thought should be and i was like no there's a mod target going on there because that represents me yeah. and it's non-negotiable it's like don't give a shit what else you put on there it has to have it on there and and don't get wrong with publisher amazing so they were like yeah we get it too we understand that it's now you know, littered through the book. The book has mod targets and Bowie lightning strikes throughout it. So, yeah, and that, I think for me, the authenticity piece, when you do that, you own it. You know, I'm accountable for that in terms of what it looks and feels like. Whereas I can't be accountable for a picture I download off Pexels or sh sh Shutter for whatever them websites are called, because that's not me. That's just somebody else. So, I think it yeah. works. And, and, um, I'm trying to think of kind of like other examples. And, and I was going to kind of talk about... Um, brands that you identify with but i think that sometimes that can be a struggle because you know i like audi cars but i wouldn't say that i necessarily would could define audi's kind of personality or what their brand represents i just yeah. I like the way their cars look but then i was thinking well actually you know i, I kind of really like football and, and i watch um obviously a lot of that and and what i really really don't like is when they interview a footballer after a game and they just come out with, they've been so kind of media trained that they just come out with stock yeah. answers. And I just think, yeah, I, I, could, I could have given yeah. that. Whereas there's people like, who are, who do get interviewed, who do kind of change that a little bit. Like Stephen Jarrod was always brutally honest. And if he, the performance was bad, he would just say, we were awful, you know, yeah, yeah. Really brutally honest. Peter Crouch is a great personality. And then I was thinking about musicians, you know, I've been to gigs where, the the front man won't say a word and he'll just play song of song. You go, well, I don't really feel like I was like um, immersed yeah, in it. Yeah. yeah. And then there's bands that like, um, there's a band from Stockport. Um, uh, oh my God, the Blossoms. Blossoms, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brain force then. Um, they've got loads of personality. Like if you see their kind of social media channels, you know yeah. who they are as a, as a group. Whereas yeah. then you've got the manufactured pop bands who... Again, they're so media trained that you don't tend to get that kind of personality. Yeah. I think when we can show our own personality and be authentic, you do set yourself apart. And you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea and you need yeah. to be okay with that. But from your own personal brand, and, and we do talk about personal brand more and more in just our day-to-day -day lives and professions now. Yeah. And maybe, you know, people might kind of question and go, well, I don't have a personal brand. You know, I'm just a 
an L&D practitioner or a, a HR practitioner or whatever it may yeah. be. Well, actually, you do have a personal brand. You, people identify with, with you because of how you manage your stakeholders, the work that you deliver, everything that you do, people are creating a perception of you. And that, that essentially is your personal brand. Yes, you know, absolutely. if you go into a meeting and you're, maybe you're a director who's a yes man to the MD, people will say, that person's just a yes man. Yeah. If you're somebody who actually challenges the leaders of the business because it's not the right thing that they're doing and, and you know, you will get recognized for that. And people will really kind of appreciate that. So I think what you're talking about can actually massively ripple down into the, you know, the everyday man. Um, you've just got to open your mind in terms of actually what do I have a personal brand? What is my personal brand? And your personal brand is just your authentic you. Don't try and yes. be anything different. Absolutely. Um, unless you're annoying everybody, <laughs> then maybe have a bit of self-reflection and go, hmm, there's a common denominator here and it seems to be me. Yes. Right. Go away and have a quiet word with yourself at that point. But generally, you know, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. But um, as long as you're most people's cup of tea, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. But your authentic self is yeah. the best version of you that you can be. Without question, yeah, you know, the, the book, Break the Mold and the work I do, it's all about helping them to be your best version of you. And I think sometimes it, there's the environment that people are in, the footballer piece, you know, I, I think the environment they work in, I sound like my dad's, you know, money's killed the game kind of thing, but so much of that is because of the money involved. Yeah, they don't want to say so, anything wrong because yeah. it'll be on you know the next day's back pages all over social media the, you know, all, some, the, all the sponsors will be clubs, kicking off and, yeah some football clubs have you know they're, they're on the stock market so the share will be yeah, to be impacted yeah. you know it's ridiculous that they yeah. can't just say if we were bad today we were bad for these reasons yeah. you know, go, well you know or, every or day's they, a, yeah or they don't say it in an authentic way you know yeah and I'm, I'm a Manchester United fan so I've heard excuses and after excuse for the last nine years and it's the same thing and a lot of it is actually why don't you just come out and say what you're saying behind closed doors and yeah. it isn't you know I mean that that's obviously a very high profile example and often people in organizations what they're doing is they live up to the job title so you know I mean there's one of the stories in the book with an exec coaching client of mine you know he talks about when he became the director which was the job he's always wanted his view was then well now I have to sit in the office now I can't be that person that's out there engaging with my team because I'm the director. And it was like he hid behind the job title and that's the complete opposite of who he is. And there's cultures, there's there's moulds that get created in organisations. And, yeah, it's putting at the heart of it who you truly are. I mean, I, I work with a lot of organisations and also senior leadership teams when they're creating their culture. So rightly where that would start is either the values of the organization or the values of the leadership team and that, that has to be shared values my challenge to them then is you can't just go out with those values to the rest of your teams the rest of your organization you need to share them and, and buy into them and tell people what that means what you also then need to do is to allow every individual in your organization to understand to get clarity on their own values because your values might be, I'm going to use the typical ones, teamwork, trust, you know, integrity, passion, all those corporate bullshit words that people use that they don't even know what they mean. But you can't then go to the, the 25, 250,000 people you employ and go, they're now your values. 
you have to create that culture where when somebody walks into work, their awareness is this is who I am and this is what's important to me. I mean, I was speaking to an exec coaching client yesterday. It was a brilliant example that that's what I've been helping him with is, is really creating. It's, it's your map of the world. That's what I put at the heart of everything I do is really understand what you stand for, what your purpose is, what your emotive drivers are. And he was talking about, he'd had a conversation with his boss and it, it triggered something in him. And what, what he was able to do was walk away and go, well, I recognise now the issue wasn't what we were talking about. The issue was the way my boss reacted suggested that he doesn't trust me and trust is really important to me. And then he was able to go away, reflect on that. And he's now able to go back to his boss and talk about that, you know, rather than it being, this is an issue about, process tasks you know whatever it might be this is my idea this is their idea which often never ends well for anybody he's now able to go back and have an open conversation and say look the way you reacted suggested to me that you don't trust me to go away and do this and this i just want to share it with you so we can talk about it and move on you know that's and that's, that's hard that in itself is a it is mountain it, it, to overcome it, it is the the challenge that I would give to that is the hard bit is starting with you. So getting that clarity on who you are, exploring that. And that's the work I've done with that particular client and other leadership teams is start with that. Use your awareness to, to recognise what that, how that impacts on you, whether your experiences align or conflict with your map of the world. Once you've done that, actually those conversations become a lot easier because all you're talking about is you and, yeah. and the reality is when you build that like you would in a relationship you know if yes. your partner has offended you then yeah. you know it yeah. makes sense rather than go off and sulk or escalate yeah. have well, an it, honest conversation yeah i mean if i you know I, I remember some of the conversations i used to have with some of my more challenging bosses or colleagues that's saying if the conversation was just about this is my idea that's your idea and the two are different you, you don't build a relationship and you end up often wasting time on things talking about things that are outside of your control or you build a perception of oh me and martin don't get on because he thinks we should have had this system and i think we should have had that whereas actually if i give you feedback to say what you did yesterday broke trust with me and i share my thoughts what i'm doing is open it up for you to then be honest with me and the reality is talking about that can never get anybody into trouble because it allows people to open with each other maybe apologizing you know and the beauty of it as well is that then creates clarity. You know, often what that leads to is somebody going, that's not what I meant by it. That's not how I meant yeah. to come across. This is what I meant. And I will, I'll add to that by giving you some honest feedback because my reaction was triggered by when you said this and that's how it felt to me. It's not about always having emotional conversations. It's, it's actually talking about what's really going on because Again, if you use the example of, you know, again, I, I want this idea, I want that, I want to recruit that person, I want to recruit that person. That's actually got nothing to do with it. What, what's actually going on for the human beings is, is the emotions that that triggers. And do I feel comfortable telling you what my idea is? Because if I don't have rapport with you, I might not feel comfortable because I, I, I might be frightened that you might dismiss my idea and you might make me feel stupid. So the the topic of the conversation per se isn't what's really going on. It's how it impacts internally on the human being. And you know, I think that all the work that I do with organizations and leaders, it Hard helps them to realize in situations like that, isn't it? And that, that's where you've yes. got to kind of rise above that. Yeah. And, and again, that that level of conversation helps to rise above it because you get more defensive if you just 
decline my idea and I don't really know why because you just saying your idea is better than mine and me saying my idea is better than yours what, what a crack of shit that is yeah that that'll be happening in millions of organizations right now and it is that ability to go actually yeah let's talk about this and I know I know something when I do a lot of the work is a lot of what feedback comes back to me is when when they understand themselves, they realize you don't need a psychology degree to understand this stuff. You don't need to be an expert in it. Actually, you need to be an expert in you and learning more about and accepting how you work as a human being. And that doesn't mean you need to know the inside anatomy of a human brain. And sometimes that gets too much focus in leadership development. Yeah, most leaders will leave the room going, what was he on about? Amygdala? What, 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 what was that? It's like a walnut or something, is it? Or almond? What? What you want to do is have to understand, no, when you have an experience, your reaction will always come from an emotional point of view first. That's just the way you're wired as a human being. You can't do anything about that. It traces right back to cavemen, ancestors, you know. We haven't developed that much in the way that we operate as a human being. And it's just having people to understand that and then also, from that they can make a positive choice so they can choose how to respond and it grows confidence where you know we, we were talking off air before about you know some organizations where you've worked and instantly you recognize i can't work here the behaviors the attitudes are not right and when you get that self-awareness what it allows you to do is to choose a better response to that culture because the danger in that culture is you start to behave like everyone else where when you get that authenticity piece right at the heart of your leadership, you can work in any environment and go, actually, everything around me is going to happen anyway. What I can choose to do is to be myself. I can live up to what I stand for. And when I go home at night, that's what I remember. Even if somebody doesn't like that, or you know, you were saying before, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Internally, as long as you know that you've behaved in a way that aligns with who you are and what you stand for, that is where your confidence comes from. When you behave in a way that isn't you and breaks your own values, then self-doubt creeps in. Then we start to be the person that we're not. And that's very, very hard to reconcile internally. And that's the key focus of my work is whether that's individuals, teams or organisations, just bringing that to life for them and actually remembering. When you walk in that meeting tomorrow and you go on that Teams call, you're not dealing with Rita, Sue and Bob or head of accounts you know, finance administrator, you're dealing with a human being and and what they're, they're uh, even down to how present they are or how engaged they are, is driven by an emotional reaction internally. So the more we can understand that and project ourselves, our personal brand, the more that creates that engaging culture. Good stuff. Well, I feel like we've gone, we, we, before we started this, we were like, right, this is the kind of loose format that we'll go. <laughs> And that, I think that had gone out of the window after three, <laughs> three minutes. Um, we've we've gone back to front in what we've we been doing already. <laughs> so we've brought these good. I said I said I said I like to have these really organic chats and, and just see where we go with it. Um, the for the listeners, I always say to to guests, um, the the story of kind of your career history is really just the vehicle that gets us from the beginning of the conversation yeah. to the end of it. I really like the um, the rabbit holes and the debates that we go on and, and chat about. And, and hopefully you as the listeners really enjoy, you know, you get the most value out of those bits as well. Um, but I still do try and kind of put a loose framework around it all. And yeah, we we we, we messed that one up straight away. But I really, really... <laughs> 
you know, it's it, as long as we're getting value from the conversation, that's yeah. the important bit. Yeah. So to, to kind of rewind to the 90s, as we said we would do. So so talk to me, right, we've, we've spoken about kind of the work that you do now and yeah. kind of alluded to the book a little bit. Um, so how, do, how have we got there? So where, how have you... You know, did you go to university? Did you leave school and go straight into work? I know, like I said at the beginning, you've had a bit of a kind of um, a kind of a. I was going to say checkered past. That makes it sound like you're a bit dodgy. <laughs> um, it wasn't a checkered past. It was a. It was you, you. You went through a few kind of very different types of roles in your earlier career that aren't the orthodox route, shall we say? So, talk to me about kind of what you did earlier on, uh, the decisions yeah. that you made, and, and how we've got to where we are now. Yeah. Uh- the, the people who've known me for 20, 30 years might say it was a checkered past at certain <laughs> times. But yeah, I definitely think the scenic route is a fair description. So, so yeah, um, I left school, went into college, uh, did two years at college, probably best two years of my life. I mean, I turned 18 in 1996. You know, what a time to be young and all that. Um, so me going into work, probably the only thing I knew in terms of what I wanted to do when I was leaving colleges I didn't want to go to university I, I, I didn't I didn't have a career in mind I, I, I had a passion I, I, I guess I'd always thought about being a journalist or a writer funnily enough I'm not a published author so where now things come around isn't it? Yeah. so and, and there was a bit of I, I, I didn't want to move away from home and all that kind of stuff I, I, I kind of didn't almost didn't want to start again so I went into work and did the typical things certainly back then of if you're not going to university, get a good job. And my first job was uh, in a bank. Uh, you know, back then it was considered to be a good job. It was probably very viewed very differently these days. Um, and and that was probably the trigger for certainly the first. Do we do it in quarters or years? A big chunk of my early career, shall we say, in terms of I went into that job, didn't know what to expect, didn't really have expectations you know, and, and just kind of went with the flow. Um, looking back now, what I was learning at that time, maybe without recognising it, was how important culture was to me. And I, and actually the work that I was doing per se, I could, I'm a grafter, I've always worked hard, I'm happy working my ass off. So whatever work I was going to do, I would put effort into it and I'd work hard and I'd you know, demonstrate integrity, I'd take responsibility. What I can see looking back now is what was actually important to me was the culture and the way people treated me and I did feel trusted and did the people around me have integrity? Were they interested in me? And, you know, that that first job at the bank, nobody did really. You know, that was very much, oh, well, you're the young lad, so go make me a cup of tea in the morning and fine, I love drinking tea, but I don't want to be spoken to like that. Go make your own cup of tea kind of thing. You know, if you speak to me nicely and you engage me, make as many cups of tea as you want, but don't just bowl in and go, where's my cup of tea? And you were kind of, it was very much, you fit this mould. If you want to progress, we'll pay you a crap salary, get all the crap jobs. And if we like you, we might put you on a management development program, you know, corporate bullshit galore. So I left there after a couple of years, uh, went into an organisation, which now would be called a startup. <laughs> but then it was just a small business. Yeah. Um, and I flourished there, loved it, spent six or seven years there, progressed, you know, Typical, very good at the job that I was doing, so I got progressed to supervisor. That was my first leadership job, supervisor. Do we even have supervisor anymore? And I then manager. you in that type of world, certainly in, in kind of payroll, you always... Yeah. I don't know why it goes, yeah, payroll yeah, supervisor. I mean, it, yeah, and you have a lot in uh, probably more like the, I guess, the warehouse, though, maybe the industrial side, don't you? Yeah. But, so, yeah, progressed there, loved it. Uh, my manager there, who 
gave me a lot of opportunities. He's still a mentor for me today. Um, so I loved it. Very young business. You know, when I was I was young when I joined there, I was 20 or 21. And, you know, you were out every every week and, you know, free bar and all that sort of stuff. So living the dream, I guess, really. And then uh, role there got me redundant. And then the next role I went into was actually my first step into, we could call it HR from a broader spectrum. Uh, but certainly in terms of what I do now, that was the first step into it when I went to work for training and development business. So that was the classic, uh, quite a, uh, an SME, um, but worked with massive organisations. So then I was responsible for projects there in terms of working with big clients, coordinating everything, getting the trainers, so agreeing the, the content of the programme. If I'm, if I'm looking at your, pro, as, as a recruiter, you know, I, I kind of always go kind of to default. So you've worked as a, in a, in a technical role up until that point. So you've been in a bank and then you've got into payroll, which there's a loose kind yeah. of um, um, yeah, segue yeah. there, but, you know, there's a, kind of a loose alignment um, in terms of money. Um, you've then gone from kind of, you've worked in payroll for almost six years. How the heck, I can't see the leap from payroll to a training provider. How have you, how have you managed to make that transition? So when you've gone that I don't know. I've just my, my my mind's full of question marks of how have you made that transition to probably yeah. try and keep the same sort of pay grade as you would have been on unless you've kind of unless you went back to the start and worked your way up. But um, yeah, do you see where I'm kind of going? How have you gone yeah, from kind of payroll into training delivery? Yeah. So there's a little bit of a nuance in it because the payroll that I was responsible for wasn't the payroll for the staff. So that organisation, the startup is a uh, limited Umbra company payroll. Umbrella company, yeah. Umbrella company, yeah. So the payroll was more for the contractors being paid by the agencies rather than me doing the monthly, weekly payroll for the, the staff. So, but the real reason is that because it was a training development provider, right, they believed in people, they believed in leadership. And what they recognised was, actually, the technical side of it doesn't matter. You've got these transferable skills. And what we need is somebody to manage a team that needs to work to very close deadlines, needs to work quickly, needs to have an attention to detail, needs to be able to engage stakeholders, needs to manage projects, needs to have that ability to oh, so work with you different as, It was partners. you the manager that they Absolutely. were. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and well, it, it's good. I was going to say, even, you know, even in my world, I see where there's companies that are so reticent. Ret what's yeah. the word I'm looking for? Reticent? Yeah, reticent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. reticent to... Um, having consideration for somebody where they haven't worked in that industry you know yes you've got the technical aspects where you are a great manager therefore let's put you into another management role because you don't need to be an expert at what we do yeah. that is so often overlooked by organizations out there yeah. you know they, they always look for well we want somebody who's done it before exactly the same industry same type of role yeah. you know very rarely do companies have um yeah an open eye approach this where they go yeah. well you know what are the characteristics that we're looking for what type of person are we looking for let's recruit on you know values characteristics profile rather than let's singularly recruit on technical skills of what we yes. need kind of yeah. for our industry or, or whatever yeah. it might be. i i still get it now martin well you know literally i work in an organization that i own and it consists of me myself and i yet yeah. So that means I work with lots of different clients, yet often 
when I first start to work with clients, one of the first questions they'll ask is, have you worked in this industry before? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes there's a, a tenuous or loose link. Often my answer is, no, I've, I've never actually worked with a, a, a GDPR compliance uh, yeah. company. Yeah, I've never worked with a, a law firm, but people are people. And the problems that you've got and the challenges that you've got and what you want from your leaders is exactly the same as the tech startup, as the property company, as the recruitment uh, software company. Yeah, and it you know it still happens today. And I think you're right. It's that bit of too often we get caught up in right who's worked in transport, and you know, and that's a good example. I say I work for a big transport business, and we recruited a lot. And we'd always oh, get excited because they work for transport business. They'd often be the worst recruits because they bring a lot of bad habits with them. Yeah. You know, and, and they wouldn't be that excited about coming into it because oh, I've done transport for 20 years. So it's the same. You know, and it, I think sometimes it is uh, when I mentor people, and particularly when they're looking at progressing their career and they talk about CV, one of the big things I always advise them on is don't start your CV with where you've worked, start with your skills start by as soon as that recruiter reads that cv tell them what you bring to the role because actually five years at yorkshire bank or two years at eddie stobar who cares they're not what they're going to do is ask you about your experience and how it translates to their role and you know the bottom line is pretty much every organization in the world has systems that they use have processes that they operate has tasks that every role is responsible for Surely you should be able to train people on how to do those things. And actually, the reality is exactly like you said there, Martin. It's the person that you bring that makes the impact. It's their behaviours, their attitude. Yes, of course, if I'm qualified as a structural engineer, I'll probably find it difficult to go into HR because there's technical competence clearly that links to that. I think, you know, for the vast majority of roles, that element is missed and it is that bit of, well, actually, what are the transferable skills and, you know, what can we bring from this? And, and again, interestingly, when I mentor people from a HR career point of view, often I'll ask them, what operational experience have you got? You know, sometimes I go, oh, well, I did this, but I now work in a bank and I used to work in retail. I'm like, yeah, okay, so what did you take from that operational experience? What did you learn in that operational experience? that's transferable to HR, how can you bring that to life so from a HR point of view, you understand the operational pressures? And I, and I even encourage people right at the beginning, if they're, if they're talking about transitioning to HR, I'll often say, look for the opportunity to get a year or two operational experience, whether that's part-time work while you're studying or getting into an organisation at an entry level, and then looking at moving into HR with them. You might have all the qualifications in the world before you do that. That operational experience is massively important, and I think it's often missed as to how transferable that is to a HR career, because you get it. You know, that's, I know for I, me... I'd, I'd, I'd elaborate on that. I'd say it's to any career. Um, you yeah, know, for yeah, me, yeah. My, the, my years in, in HR, so my years in operations outside of um, the world of recruitment made me a better recruiter you know when I came back into recruitment I was a far better recruiter because I'd been in-house and I'd lived and breathed what a normal organization looks like a recruitment agency is not a normal organization it's usually a team of salespeople and then (laughs) they either outsource payroll or it'll be a head office somewhere that you never ever see yeah you know it's like a it's like a travel agent or an estate agent they're an independent little 
office usually with um, a few people in, and it's its own little kind of micro world. Um, you can't appreciate what an organization is like and how it operates until you've worked in an organization. So I, I'm a massive advocate of um, if you can gain some operational experience and walk in the shoes of the people that you are serving, yes. it will completely open your eyes into yes. how you deliver the technical aspects of what you do or yeah. the com- how you have conversations because you someone's opened a door to another world that is now influencing how you operate that you didn't have before. Yes. Yeah, I know for me, I'd, I'd like to say it's a bit of a USP in terms of for me as a coach and as a facilitator, when I'm working with leaders, I, I have been there. I've got the physical and mental scars. You know, I've been punched by an employee that I sacked and, you know, I've had to make people redundant. I've had to make big decisions. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was, it was a young girl punched me after a Saturday. Yeah, a lovely night out that was. Yeah, maybe that says more about Warrington, where I live, than it does me or the girl. But so, you know, and I've been, I mean, look, I've had successes as well. You know, I, I've got people who are very complimentary in terms of how I help them as a leader. And, you know, I've managed million pound budgets. I've had to go and get CEOs to sign off my ideas. So, uh, you know, and I've been in the nitty gritty. I've had to deliver the crap appraisals and I've had to put up with the corporate bullshit. I've had to help people to develop i've had to i've given really difficult feedback i've had to support people through critical illness even through death you know that so it, when when i'm in front of a group of leaders i'd like to suggest for me when i can relate back to my successes or more importantly my failures as a leader and then i can empathize because i've been there i believe that helps me because versus the career coach who's got loads of qualifications and got loads of psychology uh, experience, they can't relate to Bob who leads a team in a warehouse, you know, use the example in the book, you know, how can that person relate to Bob who leads a group of hairy ass blokes? And actually Bob having to go back and have a difficult conversation with these lads who are maybe on 10, 15 pound an hour. And actually all they care about is let me come in, do my job. Don't give me grief and let me go home. Well, if, if what they're getting from a leadership coach and a trainer is simply well this model suggests this and if you follow this theory you know bob's going to sit and think that ain't going to help me with this bunch of lads i've got to motivate tomorrow and they're going to the first thing they're going to do when i turn up is take the piss because i've been on a management course so there is a bit of you know and that that's not just for i guess what you class there as a first line manager that that's the same for execs as well you know, that, that, that's that bit of often when people become execs for the first time, they're more insecure than they've ever been in their entire life because now they are a leader. They are a senior leader. And again, it's that bit of helping to relate to that. And sometimes it's letting them know you're not the only one. Other people go through this. I've been through this. I've had those challenges. And putting it in their perspective is what helps them the most because then when they're faced with that problem, their memory recall is okay i can try something here i can take a different approach whereas expecting even an exec to be in a difficult position and remember this theory this model this is what this famous author says it doesn't mean anything to them so it's it's creating that again it comes back to the authenticity helping people to recognize these are the challenges in your world and this is what the people expect from you and you know i know looking back that's what i would take from my career journey is when I was at my happiest is when I was authentic you know the, the, the training 
uh, provider we were talking about there had, had great time there. I was there for about five years. And that was the classic case that it was a SME, didn't want to grow, weren't looking to be bought out, you know, wanted to continue in the way that they were doing because they had a lot of value. And I remember the conversation I had with my boss there, who was the MD, who was one of the owners. And, you know, he kind of said, look, you, you kind of reached the, the concrete ceiling a bit here, Tim. Your options are you could go into this sales role or we could uh, encourage you and sponsor you to develop to go and be a training consultant. But at some point, you'd have to leave your job and go working for yourself. And at that age, at that stage in my career, that was just not an option. So we had a really open conversation that was, yeah, I'm going to have to leave for me to progress because I didn't want to go into sales and I didn't want to stand still. In the next six or 12 months, I was going to leave. And that was great because then when I was looking for a job, I could speak to Pete about it. I could tell, what is this job here? What do you think? And, you know, we had some great conversations and he would look at, and it meant the succession planning was there. When I handed him a notice in, it wasn't like, oh my God, Tim's leaving. What a unique situation to be able to go to your boss and say, there's a job here. What do you think? Um, And get their input. I mean, imagine if we were all in that situation, how different the world would be. That's a game changer, isn't it? There's a, me being me says that should happen in every conversation. And there's a, when we talk about performance management and, you know, people talk about setting goals and there's a, it's a bit of a boring example, but there's a Venn diagram that I encourage people to think about. And in that Venn diagram, it's you, as in you and your life. What do you want from life? What's your interest? Then you've got you in your role, so the role you're doing now. And then the other circle is the organisation. And that Venn diagram, where you should be talking about as a leader, is where they overlap. It's the classic Venn diagram. The sweet spot is where all of those overlap. So you can have the conversation that somebody might talk about, yeah, I want your job and I, and I want to be here. And that's my progression. Great. Talk about that. When you have a conversation about what you want from life, that enables that conversation where they might go, well, actually, I've got an ambition to run my own business and you know, actually this job is helping me to save up to be able to do that. Then you can have a really open conversation. Your boss can share advice. They can talk about it. You can ask them to think about, well, what's your time scale? If you're telling me you're going to leave in two years, what do you think? Should we be preparing a successor? So, again, when that person gives you the resignation email, it's not a letter anymore, is it? Then it's not a surprise. It's not a panic station. This is also why, for me, it, often it's really hard for managers to replace people who leave because it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. So instantly, the organisation will go, ah, could save their salary here. Actually, they almost hold the manager responsible for somebody leaving. And sometimes it's the right thing because they're leaving the manager, not the, not the job. But actually, if you've got an understanding of, well, I run this, I run this big team and... Uh, five of them, they're not going anywhere. Been here for 20 years, love working here. They're here until they retire. Fantastic. Let's talk to them about how they can contribute to the team. I'm comfortable that they're going to be part of my team. I've got 10 in the middle here. Not sure. Of a certain age, some want to progress, some might uh, leave for £1 an hour extra. Right? Okay, well, let's make sure we're talking to them about how they contribute, getting ready that they're the roles that we might have to recruit for. And actually, I've got another three over here that are really emerging talent and are ambitious and, you know, they're on the leadership programmes. They want my job. Right. They're the ones I need to talk about. How long are you going to give it here before you move somewhere else? Because if you're ambitious, 
there's not enough opportunities for everybody in the world. They're just in an organisation. That, that sounds like absolute common sense, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> because leaders are terrified of doing it because they get caught up in, if I have a conversation with somebody about leaving, that's my fault if they then leave. Yeah. Yet how many leaders right now are working in organisations that's their second, third, fourth, fifth, exactly. sixth? Tenth employer, so there's a bit of. Well, I've got a minute. You do it. So yeah, it's and that's why I conversations. I I get really annoyed when um, uh, people get bitter about somebody handing the notice, and you know, from being, you know, the best friend, there's suddenly kind of outcast. Yeah, uh, like ostracised. Yeah, yeah. and I just think, well, unless you've always worked here, you've done that. You know, if, if somebody's leaving to enhance their life in some capacity, whether it's a. Career development, more money, closer to home, more flexibility, what, whatever that may look like. Yeah. Thank them for what they've done, everything they've contributed, and wish them all the best for, you know, say, yeah. gutted to see you go, but wish you the best for the future. Yeah. Why ostracize somebody? Crazy, isn't it? For wanting to do what you have probably done at some point in your own career as well. well Just because it makes your life a little bit uncomfortable and awkward yeah. and, and gives you a problem of replacing that person. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, that's your role as the manager of that yeah. team or department or, you know, your job as the leader. Absolutely that's right. what you've signed up to. You're, this is yeah. going to be part of it. People are going to leave. You're going to have these bumps in the road. Um, bumps in the yeah. road happening. Other, you know, if a supplier suddenly struggles to get stock, you know, the world we're in right now, supply chains are on the knees. Do you do you, do you ostracize the supplier because I know. you know they haven't been able? No, because you accept that, and that's a bump yeah. in the road. So, yeah. bumping the roads are going to happen in different shapes and guises. You've signed up to handling those, so yeah. people leaving is just another one. Um, yeah, it's insane, mate. And it, I know I've been guilty of that when people handed the notice in previously when when I was fitting the mold and being the corporate leader. Yeah, I would have been like, oh, I'm not speaking to them and I'm not inviting them to this meeting. And it, it's ridiculous because the, the leaders who, well, managers actually, that's a manager because they're trying to manage everything. A manager who does that and ostracises those people and feels let down by them, also in the next breath, moans about the people who've been in that organisation for 10, 15 years. It's like, we can't be both ways. Yeah. And it is that bit of, to look at the people you work with, something I encourage leaders to do more on a kind of the local environment. Because I would say to leaders, where you can influence is the local culture environment, i.e. your team and the people you work closest with. The global culture of the organisation, you can influence it to a degree. Clearly, if you're an exec, you've got a massive influence. Yet often for leaders, that global culture is outside of your control to focus on that and I encourage them to take a step back and build a profile of the people that you lead with them so make sure you know what their values and beliefs are make sure you even know what their age are do they have children are they looking to buy a house have they paid the mortgage off therefore what's the real motivators in life and use that to then have the conversations that matter there's a, a brilliant organization that I worked with earlier this year I spoke at their conference and they did something I've never seen before. And they did exactly what I'm talking about on a global scale. And I'll even reference them because they deserve the credit. So it's Moto Hospitality, who own and operate hundreds of motorway service stations. Okay. Uh, and Louise Hughes there. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Moto. Yeah. 
And something that they did, and they shared it at their leadership conference, was they've done exactly that. They've profiled their uh, their employees, the population of their employees, and what they were able to recognise. And they, and they categorised them as, you know, family, uh, young, so they might be students, you know, ambitious. And they even shared, by looking at the uh, characteristics we've defined this as, and with the help of our leaders, this is how our workforce breaks down. And the reason they've done that is to help their leaders to have the conversations with the individual. Because the person who's just started a family and has probably just took on a mortgage, they will look for security. Yes, they might look for an element of advancement. They're also probably going to want more flexibility, more understanding from their boss and employer than they've ever needed. You know, the 21-year-old needs to be allowed to get away with having a day off for an hangover here and there. The 28-year-old who's just got married, just bought a house, just started a family... They need a boss to go, it's all right if you need to take your kid to the doctors. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Yeah, you might work the time back. Or if you need to work from home because your kid's got chicken, don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, conversely, the ambitious people need something different. The people who are maybe 55, 60 need something different. Because, you know, they were talking about a lot of their employees are over 60 who've worked their career somewhere else and maybe retired, maybe been made redundant. And now they just want to come to work and enjoy it. They want to work with the public. They want to work with people. They were saying they've got like a, a large population, like ex-directors who are now serving on the counter at Costa because they said they just want to come to work and be with Social people. Aspect, yeah. So, but what, what was brilliant about that is they did it to help the leaders to have the conversations that really matter. So they weren't trying to impose the same conversation on everybody yeah. and also took the pressure off the leaders to go, yeah, I don't need to ask Bob, who's 62, what his five-year plan is, because yeah. it's probably just going to go, retire, mate. Yeah. Be, be, be alive, be healthy, and, and retire. Whereas Tim, who's 22, and shows a work ethic, shows an interest, actually, he needs me to build a five-year plan, and he needs me to put him into meetings. He needs me to share my experiences. So it allowed them to take the pressure and build that culture. So, yeah, it is common sense. Unfortunately, we don't have common sense. Yeah, we just follow the, the 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 kind of the train tracks that have been laid before us, don't we? Yeah, um, you're right. That's a very good way of looking at it. Yeah, I'm just I'm conscious of time because um I'm, I'm in a conundrum. Um, we, we're talking through some really good stuff, and I know listeners are, are going to be getting some great insight from this. But I'm also conscious, um, you know, we, we we're only part way through your career journey. We haven't even got into the L and like the L and D piece, which is the the segue from your operations to kind of almost where you are now so yeah um so let's kind of talk about so so you you kind of worked as an operational manager for some training providers how did you then transition into more of that kind of training space yourself and and i guess what what was the why did you do that and and how has it kind of got you to where you are it is the classic you know and I, i say about this in the book sometimes people call it this epiphany for me it was just a a moment where I realised that there's a different way to think, there's a different way to behave. And by this time, I was working at Eddie Stobart, which is the biggest organisation I've ever worked for. And, you know, they had internal training programmes where you could apply for it. You know, you'd then go on the leadership development programmes. And, you know, through that, I, I met a lady called Zoe, uh, Zoe Jones. Which is uh, who we referenced at the who, Yeah, who recommended me for this podcast. So, yeah, God love her. So, and I, I've, I've been on training courses before because these were for training providers. So, I, you know, I kind of went along thinking, I've heard all this before, but it don't really help. And, you know, I'm all right as a manager. I'm doing well. I'm well thought of. I've got a 
good chance of progressing here. But Zoe was like, you know, she kind of said, she invited me because I've got to know her. And she said, look, I think you'll enjoy it. And I, I think you should be on this program. And, you know, when I was kind of a bit hesitant, she was like, there's only one way to find out. And that's actually now like a mantra as part of my mindset. You know, when I think about, oh, should I go and do that talk? Should, should I write a book? Should I do this? I think there's only one way to find out. And lo and behold, going on that, it was a two-day course with her. It just completely revolutionised the way I thought. It, it introduced me to emotional intelligence and authentic leadership. And it, it did, that's genuinely what led me to what I'm doing now. There's, there's no question that that single interaction for a couple of days in witness <laughs> um, led me to doing what I do now. And it, to me, it was that. What, what, what made you write the book, though? Because that's, you know, they, they say everyone's got a book in them, don't they? Um, yeah. And I'll be honest, that, you know, I've I've toyed with the idea of um, do at some point I try and find the time to, to write a book about, um, you know, in my space about recruitment, about actually what makes the modern recruiter and, and, and how has the world changed rather than just be the again, the, the kind of stereotypical kind of salesy type recruiter. Um, yeah. Well, I've got a model that's worked very, very differently and very, very successfully and, and hopefully, you know, it's resonated with people and that, that's why we do well. So, I, you know, I've kind of dabbled with the idea in my head. I haven't got anywhere near close to time to be able to do it, but what you're, you're probably going to challenge that in a second, I imagine. But what, what made you want to write write the book? So there's there's... I suppose there's a number of reasons, and what I would start with, it, it is my only lifelong ambition. I mean, alongside playing for Manchester United, which I realised by age 14, that's never happened. Although I could probably play on Monday night and do better than I oh, yeah. so I should sit up in my boots and my shinies. So, yeah, it was a lifelong ambition. I've always enjoyed writing. Okay. I devour books, and, I, and that's the bit of what got me into L&D was having that experience with Zoe. I just started to read leadership books and realised that I had this passion and realised that, yeah, there's a different way of doing things here. And actually, I don't need to follow that person. I don't need to do what my boss tells me to do. I can have a conversation. I can work in this way. I can progress myself. I can choose to develop. So that kind of reignited that ambition. And when I got into L&D through Zoe, Zoe uh, famously phoned me on a Friday morning and said, there's a job being advertised this afternoon to me. You're going to apply for it, you know, so it was, which is a lovely compliment. And that, you know, it was literally I got into L&D and the passion went from there. And for me, when I then stepped out of in-house work and, you know, became the, my own boss, if you like, and now as the, as the coach and speaker that I am, I thought, yeah, I need to do something about this ambition. And, uh, you know, I can't just leave it as an ambition. You know, I, I go around talking to people about authenticity and, you know, it always starts with you. And I thought, yeah, let's do it. And I, I'd accumulated my publisher especially my writing coach, nearly had an heart attack when I told this. I'd accumulated this spreadsheet because I'm, I'm such a geek that I put my ideas on a spreadsheet. So I emailed them to myself. And then when I sat down to start writing the book, I put them on a spreadsheet and categorised them. I'm such a geek. I had like nearly a thousand yeah, there's a, there's ideas. There's a formula and structure. You, you, can't, you can't go into this and just start, right, page one, start typing. No. You've, got to, you've got to have that kind of um, format and framework to, yeah. to work towards don't you so yeah you, you say you know i'm a geek of doing it well you there's different ways of doing it but you've got to have our way yes and it, you're right it, the book wouldn't exist without the spreadsheet i mean there's, there's not all the 1000 ideas in there my writing coach was like you ain't putting all that in the book Tim. so I, what i found was 
when I had this kind of, you know, this itch, as they say, and certainly when I started to work for myself, I was a bit, I'm going to write a book, you know, I started to say to my wife, and my wife was thinking, yeah, I've heard that before. So uh, me being me, I spent a year researching it, the best way to get it published, the best way to write it, and then found a publisher that I really wanted to work with. And I think a big thing for me about it as well, Martin, was as I progressed in L&D and, and I got qualified as a coach, I got qualified as a learning designer and develop, uh, facilitator, I, I did my NLP master practitioner, I got a, a qualified in emotional intelligence. As I did more and more qualifications, and I did more and more learning, as in me as the learner and also facilitating it, I just kept thinking, a lot of this gets repeated and, and a lot of people are using the same stuff. And to me, I always felt, how could I take what I really value and believe in and bring it to life? And, you know, something I'm very proud of is that the book is 100% original content. I, I, I use the, the inspirational quotes in there are more music lyrics than they are a Simon Sinek and, you know, all these other, Brenny Brown, who I love, by the way, because I felt, you know, I've literally read, I don't know, hundreds of leadership books. And after a while, you feel like, this is the same story. I've read about Pavlov's dogs and the marshmallow test and all this sort of stuff a million times. And, and I, yeah, I get it. But I felt there was a bit of a kind of value being missed there. And of course, what I do is all about authenticity. So clearly, if you're going to write a book about authenticity, it's got to be authentic. It's got to be 100% new and original content. I can't write a book on authenticity and just rehash right. Carol Dweck's growth mindset, can I? I mean, what? what? That, that's not crazy, mate. So it was. It was kind of bringing together all of that passion. And there was a bit of testing myself. I, I, I wanted to challenge myself. And, and if I'm honest, a big driver was, for me as a father, I want a role model to my kids that you make the choice in life for you. Go and do something that you really believe in. You know, that, that's the bit that I love my kids when they're older, to say that, yeah, I mean, actually, no, my dad worked his ass off to work for himself and he did what he loved and he... He wrote a book and I mean, there's going to be at least another three of them. So, you know, hopefully they'll say he wrote four books. So, yeah, there was a lot of that around kind of intrinsic motivation and wanting to prove it to myself. And, you know, I said before, I'm not afraid of graft. And, you know, part of the book was written in hotel rooms over a weekend on my own where I just had to shut myself away because of the time challenge. You know, I pulled some all-nighters to write it. And, you know, I wasn't afraid of that. And I, and I like a challenge. The challenge is the opportunity is my view. So, and I, and I believe in it. I'm passionate about leaders. I believe in people. And I, I really wanted people to read the book and relate to it and go, oh, God, yeah, I used to do that. Or, yeah, I, I've worked with somebody who does that. And, and really, to me, and I stress this a lot, where, again, being a publisher, I had a bit of a ding-dong about this, but I, I, the book is not a teaching book. It's a coaching book. Because that was another big passion of mine is I wanted to write a book where the answers of what to do with it come from the reader, whereas leadership books too often are written as a teaching book and, you've, and, it, and it's, you must do this and you must do that. And, yeah, there's a lot of value in that. Christ, I couldn't have written my book without reading hundreds of them. To me, it was I believe in the power of helping people to learn more about themselves. That grows that confidence. And then ultimately allow them to make the choices because you're working with decent human beings and when people understand their own values and they look at it from an authentic point of view they'll make the right choice for them and the person in front of them 
and that was the big really vision for me and look you know i wanted it to be funny there's humor in there there's uh I don't. I, I, I haven't read it, but I, I can already anticipate there's going to be yeah, you know, a lot uh, of your tone. Yeah, there's quite a few swear words in there. That was the first thing my mum said when she read it. She's like, "Why? Why did you have to swear it?" She It's even got the word "shit" on the cover. I was like, "Well, I didn't say that. That was somebody who wrote a, a, a some a, what do you call it at the start of the book? The recommendations for yeah. it, and then we chose that for the front cover. So, so yeah, it is heart on a sleeve. It's you know, somebody's wrote in there as a recommendation, it'll literally smack you in the face and wake you up. So, so yeah, lots of reasons, really. Yeah, of course, from a a, a business point of view, it's also about getting my voice out there. And, and, you know, I'd like to think that it demonstrates credibility that I know what I'm doing. So, yeah, there is a, a personal goal. It's a way to channel my passion, to share my story, to maybe make people think differently. That's what I'd love it to do. And then, yeah, it helps with my business. Of course it does. And that, that was my choice. You know, for me, I don't want to uh, invest lots of time and money on lots of kind of contract sales and marketing that everybody else does. The, the book is, is is a good way of getting that message out there. And I truly hope, you know, often people, it's typical, we were talking before about questions that people ask you and all that sort of stuff, don't they? You know, when you've written a book, what a lot of people do is just, how much money have you made? And how many, how many copies has it yeah. sold? And it, yeah, it's selling really well. Thank you. But my my answer to that is always the same: is I don't really give a shit. Yeah, you are in it for the vanity, about, you know, the vanity metrics, yeah. or you're in it for the purpose. absolutely. Yeah, all I care about is the people who read it, which thankfully is in the hundreds, possibly thousands. They, they like it; it relates to them, and that they want to do something with it. And you know that that's the big driver for me is that when somebody might message me or a, or a I was with somebody this week on a workshop who said they'd read it and they said they really enjoyed it. Related to, that's enough for me. It's more important that they enjoy it than whether Amazon send me a royalties payment this month or not. That's not what it's about for me. You know, if you're only in it for that, you're probably not going to get what you want from it. Not unless yeah. you're JK Rowling or whatever. So, yeah. so yeah. It's like, it's like me with this podcast. You know, there's a, I do it for the purpose. You know, we're, yes. we're not in the, the, the iTunes top 10 podcast we, ne- we probably never well we never will be I said, yeah i can't i can't that with a problem. well yeah <laughs> there's only one way to find out gonna do but it for purpose you know i i i kind of say if i can help one person from any episode of a podcast then it's been worthwhile doing yes. it um cool well look let's wrap up i i think that's been fascinating you know we said it we said before we even started recording the danger of both of us chatting here was um we could just keep going and going and going yes. and i think we really could and um i think i i think you and i can kind of cross paths in in other um kind of initiatives and, and maybe you know we bring you back on for the, you know maybe we do it with every book <laughs> book two book three and book yeah. four um, yeah, hopefully. Well, yeah, but maybe for this volume if two I'm to be out in twenty twenty-four, maybe we can do that. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I've really, really enjoyed this. I could, I could Me definitely too, thank uh, you. Um, talked and talked and talked more about kind of some of the. Sorry, that was that was Miss Siri speaker going off in the background. Oh. They're always listening. Yeah, they are, aren't they? I, I wondered what what on earth that was. Um, but no, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for giving up your your time today. Um, I know listeners are going to get a lot out of this one. If anybody does want to kind of pick up with you, I guess one they can go out and kind of buy the book. So you know, doesn't have to. But I, I would. It sounds like a great book. I'm I'm certainly going to go and have a, a read of it. Is it on Audible, Thank by you. the way? 
Uh, no, uh, not yet. Oh, I love an audible. Uh, I think I'll just be really, really honest. It's really hard to get some a publisher to pay for an audio book for a first yeah, time author. That's just imagine. the honest truth. I could do it myself, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not great with technology, so I just get frustrated. So watch this space, maybe in the future. But for now, it's it's uh, you can uh, it's on Amazon, Waterstone, you know, all good books shops, yeah. as everybody says. So you can get it on Kindle. Buy Amazon, or yeah, you can buy the uh, the paperback. Cool. On the well, I'm going to go and have a, a read because I think um, you know, for me, I I, I do train, um, read or listen <laughs> listen um, a, a lot. I do it in the car um, or at the gym or whatever I'm doing. Um, but I really try and kind of um, it's that personal development for me of you know trying to kind of improve yourself. And, and I think anybody yeah. who wants to, this sounds like. It isn't just for directors. This sounds like anybody in some sort of management leadership capacity. And I think, especially from, you know, a HR and L and D space, um, content like this is just good for you because it kind of falls under the, um, the the umbrella of kind of what you do in your day to day mm. profession. Anyway, if you can be aware yes. of it, you can you can influence better as, as well um, and have better yes. conversations with stakeholders. So. Yeah, so the book's obviously out there. And if people want to kind of just engage with you, is kind of LinkedIn the best way to do so? Yeah, they can follow me or contact me on uh, Connect and contact me via LinkedIn or my website's enthusedcoaching.com. So, yeah, if they want to get in touch or learn more about what I do, then, yeah, just come and say hello. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, look, Tim, thank you so much. Um, and, yeah, hopefully I'll pass across again in the future. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. I've really enjoyed it. Appreciate you getting me as a guest. Keep smiling. Keep being you. And there's another show in the bag. I hope you enjoyed it and really appreciate you listening. We've received so much feedback from people who have said how helpful these conversations are and how the insights are helping individuals with their own careers. However, to get the podcast to a larger audience, we need your help. Please could I ask you that you'd write a review on whichever platform you're listening to this on, as it's the ratings and reviews which really help get a podcast promoted. So if you could spare just 30 seconds to write us a review, that would be really, really appreciated. In the meantime, I hope you'll join us on the next episode and I'll see you then. This podcast is brought to you by Hire People, a recruitment agency specializing in the HR and marketing professions. But we're not your typical recruitment agency. When I created Hire People, I very much wanted to rip up the rule book when it came to the model I felt a recruitment business for the modern times should adopt. I've been an internal recruiter as well as a HR manager using the services recruitment agencies. Some good, mostly poor. I've also been a job seeker on the receiving end of poor service from every recruitment agency I applied for a job through. It left me feeling despondent, non-supported and very much like a statistic. So I decided to do a Gandhi and go and be the change that I wanted to see in the world. Hire People was born from that desire to not only run a recruitment agency that has standards, but continuously driving those standards higher. We are highly innovative and introduce the number of features that distinguish us from your typical recruitment agency. We offer a six-month 100% rebate. We've introduced the innovative and groundbreaking Hired360 product, which has brought 3D CVs and 3D job descriptions to the market. And we very much place the emphasis on service, not sales. So if you're interested in working with us, get in touch and let's see how we can help.